is Tony Thomason. Today is Tuesday, June 14, 2016, and today I'm interviewing for the first time architect Gerard Denny. This interview is taking place at the Austin History Center at 810 Guadalupe Street in Austin, Texas. This interview is being done for the Austin History Center Architectural Archives and is one of a series of interviews with and about Austin Travis County architects. Hi Gerard, welcome. Thanks for coming. Thank you, my pleasure to be here. Let's start with, uh, why don't you just tell me your full name and when and where you were born. Well, on my birth certificate it says Gerard Arnold William Kenny Jr. But I just basically go by Gerard Kenny. I was born in 1943 at Walter Reed Hospital in Washington, D.C. Okay. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Austin. I got, we got back here as soon as my dad could get back after the war. And uh, he was assigned to the Pentagon. And uh, so I got back in 46 and uh, grew up in South Austin, just off Kenny Avenue, which was named after my grandfather, um, and attended uh, Zilker Elementary School. So it's, you know, up until I was about 12, I was. That was my neighborhood. That's where I hung out, fishing on Barton Creek, you know, hanging out in the hood. So who was your grandfather? My grandfather was George P. Kinney. Uh, he and my grandmother moved into Austin and uh, bought uh, a house on Virginia Avenue, which was named after my grandmother, uh, that, that had been built by a great uncle, a Colonel Griffin, in 1873, and uh, uh, so I, I grew up in that in that house until after I after I entered the university. About the time I entered the University of Texas. So you had deep roots in Austin. Yeah, Austin is my. I went to Zilker, Fulmore Junior High, Travis High School, mm -hmm. South Austin boy. Yes, sounds like it. Well, tell me about when you first knew you wanted to be an architect. Uh, I didn't know what an architect was, although as a, as a kid I loved Tinker Toys and the Lincoln Logs and all of that, those kinds of things that architects always reflect on. But it was in, the, in junior high school in about the ninth grade, I'm thinking, that we were asked what we were, we might want to be when we grow up. You know, what what career? I think they were starting to think about college prep courses in high school mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And uh, I didn't know. I mean, I, I, up until that point in my life, I had been planning to be a herpetologist. I was going to be a herpetologist. I loved snakes. I collected snakes. I sold snakes. I milked rattlesnakes. I sold the poison to the, the navy to make antivenin, I was, you know, really into herpetology. This was up into junior high? Up into the ninth grade, about the eighth and ninth grade. I, I maintained my interest in herpetology for many years after that as an amateur, but um, I went home that night when we were asked to talk about what career we wanted, and I asked my dad what he thought I should do, and he said, well, what do you think your skills are? I said, well, what I like in school and what I do the most is math and art. I said, and I can't figure out a way to think about a career 
He said, well, that sounds like architecture. I said, oh, okay. So I started reading about architecture, became interested at that point, made a decision I was gonna be an architect. And so there, I never considered anything else. That was early on then, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so your parents must have encouraged you along that path? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm not sure they did. They, I think they, they started asking around and found out that architects don't make as much money as engineers and other people, so they, they weren't really that encouraging. My mom wanted me to definitely be something in the arts. She was involved in, both my parents were uh, involved in drama and theater, and so they sort of were pushing me that direction, but, then, but my mom basically wanted me to be involved in the arts, and my dad wanted me to be involved in something where I could actually make a living, and so it was a little bit of a tug of war. Um, did you meet any architects during that high, those high school years? Or? Well, there was one architect uh, who I didn't meet directly until much later, but when I was in junior high school, uh, I was walking home from Zilker School to my home down on Virginia Avenue through a field where I normally uh, I mean, when I was in, in elementary school, I would actually take a 22 to school with me and store it in the principal's, principal's office so I could hunt rabbits on the way home. And, and in, the, in a field, a piece of wilderness, but really, that I walked through one day in about, I was in, I was, it must have been about 1950, 55. Uh, I noticed all these stakes being put in the ground and, and guys with vests on and, and these little telescopes looking at, down the line at these stakes and I didn't know what was going on in, my, in, in the place where I hunted and where I hiked home every day. And so I went home that day and asked my dad, what's going on? He said, well, some of those are surveyors. Well, why are they, well they're laying out a subdivision. What? They're doing what? So I then I, I then became engaged in my first act of activism, wow. and got a couple of my friends to help me. And after the surveyors left every day, I took on our way home. We rearranged their stakes for them just a little bit. I would stand at this stake and move that one over, and then the other one down there, and then the other one. And I we set the project back about six months. Uh, <laughs> and by that time, I was ready to go into junior high school, and so, uh, you know, I wasn't walking to Zilker anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and then years later, I learned that that was A.D. Stinger, architect builder's project that I had disrupted. And I was able to, A.D. was sitting on the front row in about 1984 or 85, when I was asked to address the AIA about something and I told that story. And he was, he was sitting <laughs> on the front row and he said, that was you. <laughs> he remembered, huh? He remembered the event. I mean, he <laughs> probably cost him some money. So, but, 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 so Eddie Stinger, I guess, had an impact. Although, you know, I was, from early on, I was impressed by the architecture of the Capitol and also the town plan of Austin and the, the Waller grid and all that was stuff that interested me 
you know, keenly, but but I didn't know who the architects were that were involved in those things. So. Sure. I assume you went to the University of Texas? I went to the University of Texas. Uh, I actually had a, a scholarship to Rice, but uh, I went down and to, to, to check out Rice and learned from some uh, graduate students that that they were about to lose their accreditation, which it turns out they did lose it for a couple of years. Um, and so, and I'd always wanted to go to UT, so that was enough of an excuse. I gave up the scholarship that I had at Rice to go to UT, and I, but I knew I was gonna have to work my way through school anyway, so, because my money, my family didn't have any money, so, you know, I, every, every penny I paid, every bit of tuition, everything I ever, paid for it, UT, it's money I earned. And so, I, yes, I went to the University of Texas, started in, in uh, September 1st, 1961, mm -hmm. and uh, went, went, worked three jobs all the way through school. Had, had three jobs almost the whole time I was what in, kind of in the 60s. What kind of jobs did you have? Um, the first job I had was, was for the license clerk at the uh, Game and Fish Commission, which later became the Parks and Wildlife Department. But uh, it was the Game and Fish Commission. It was in the Walton Building at 11th and Congress. And I worked stamping licenses to ship out to the people that sold them and, and uh, running errands for people and, you know, mm -hmm. go for general, but worked in the mail room. Uh, and, uh, and, and got to illustrate one issue of the Game and Fish Commission magazine. I did the cover illustration of one. You must have loved that. Yeah, 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 I did. That was more of my alley. Uh, and then I went to, and then I got a job with, uh, my first job related to architecture was in about 1962, I guess. And I was, I was still working at the Game and Fish Commission, but I also worked at Calcasieu Lumber Company in the drafting room of the Calcasieu Lumber Company. It's the second floor, it's where City Hall is right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was, I, I worked under Joe Coyne in there. Back in those days, if you bought your uh, building materials at Calcasieu, uh, they would, they provided for free the architectural service, the plans. <laughs> so I would interview clients and a lot, of, a lot of times the client was a builder who was coming in Builders that are actually some builders like L.O. Jackson are still around today. I think he's still around today. Um, was was a young builder then, and he would the, the builders would bring their client in. So I'd actually get usually get to interview the cl the client as well, and to draw, draw the plans. Of course, we had a lot of standard details that we had developed, and I helped develop them. And uh, so it was a great place to learn. How, how how houses are actually built mm -hmm. and, uh, and and as I got into that uh, I realized that I wanted to work for the trades um, and so I I worked so the, the, the third regular job I had year-round was uh, I, I, I managed a model car racing track <laughs> And because I loved model car racing, and in fact, I got fired from it because I was spending too much time racing the racing. model cars and, and souping up the 
get the electric motors and stuff and uh, it was a friendly firing. It was like, Gerard, I don't think you really wanted to be doing this. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and then I worked also at the, at the uh, Texas Theater, which at that time was an art film theater. It became, before it became a porno theater, it was an art film theater. Of course, it's something else now, CBS Pharmacy or something. But it was right across the street from the architecture department. That was convenient. Which was very convenient. And, and I, I became, I was an usher there for a couple of years and then I became assistant manager. Um, and then I worked also for uh, most of the professors, not most of the professors, many of the professors, several of the professors of architecture had side practices and they would and they all pooled their resources and paid a rent above the Rexall drugstore there on the drag next to the to the co-op and but Peter Peter Coleman Sinclair Black Richard Dodge Gerlinda Lighting half a dozen others Jim Coot, they all found out I knew how to put, put together because I had I had worked at Calcio, I knew what working drawings were, and so uh, they all hired me, and so I worked for them. So that became more and more. I began doing that, and then and then I, I actually left um, left Calcio. Uh, guy that was working there at Calcio. He was my immediate boss at Calcasieu. Went to work for Gene Wukash, architect, and he then convinced Gene to hire me. And it was it was great. I got a raise from I think it was fifty five cents an hour I was making at Calcasieu to seventy five cents an hour at Wukash. So Huge. I got a big raise to go to mm -hmm. work for Wukash. I don't think I made much more than that all those years I worked for him. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I went to work for Jim Wukash. Still in school. All still in school. All of everything I'm talking about. I don't know about. how you had time for school. <laughs> well, that was to, and and along the way I got married and had a child when, in about 1964. So I'd been in school about three years when I got married and had, mm -hmm. had a child, and so became you know, most important since my parents didn't provide any funding. I I was the breadwinner and. And my spouse also worked. And then once I graduated, she uh, she she didn't graduate. She she went, continued in the school. Graduate, but um, well, when you were in school, did you have any favorite professors or instructors or people that mentored you more than yeah others? Yeah, well, the, the very first the very first day that I went to the University of Texas. I'd, I'd moved out of my home and I was living over on Baylor Street and I, would, I walked to school, walked for, to UT and I walked by the, right across the street from Jack Martin's, what, what's the, the cleaners? The, but anyway, on, on, on MLK, on, on, on uh, what was then 19th Street. Uh, but on the north side of the street there was a cleaners there. It's not there anymore. But that cleaners, there was this old man mopping the floor in the or sweeping the floor in the cleaners. And I walked by and I said, "Hi." He said, "He said, you 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 going to school?" I said, "Yes." And he said, 
what, what are you doing? I said, I said, I'm going into architecture. He said, ah, he said, you won't make no money. I said, <laughs> I, said I said, well, but I want to do it. And so we talked a little bit, and you know, I said, you know, well, where are you from? He said, I'm from Cuba. I said, oh, really? Well, nice to meet you, sir. And he kept sweeping and I kept walking. Later that day, I had my first drawing class, and it was Luis Davina. <laughs> and he was the guy that had been sweeping the floor. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we became great friends, and I admired him greatly. So he's one of the ones. My first class, though, that day, at 8 o'clock in the morning, was designed, and it was Eugene George. And Eugene George, he was a fantastic, fantastic teacher. And I maintained a connection with him up until his death you know, a few years ago. And, uh, and also, a person sitting beside me in that class was a guy named Tabor Stone, who we became friends, very close friends, all the way through school. And, plan, and, and decided, but we actually decided that day that eventually we were going to have a firm together. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And so many, many years later, we formed the firm of Billings and Kenny Stone Partnership in 1978, I think it was. Um, I went from Wukash to, to, to that, to having started my own firm. Um, so those two, and then other teachers that were very significant to me were Ellen Tanaguchi, uh, Robert Harris. I think those were the main ones. Uh, there were other, other professors that I, admired, I, I, I valued their input on, particularly on juries like Peter Coltman. Uh, but those, those were the main ones that I really I really connected with and, and that helped me a lot. Oh, Richard Swallow, he was my advisor from the very beginning. And so he, he became very close friends. And he, Richard Swallow, uh, is the one who encouraged me to develop my thesis on, I did the first thesis that had ever been done at the School of Architecture that was a written thesis rather than a, a drawing. It was not, I didn't plan a building, I just did a written thesis on humor and architecture. And Richard Swallow really, really encouraged me to do that. And, and then once I had done it, he encouraged me to get go, in, go to graduate school and to actually go after a doctorate. And he actually, years later, helped me actually get admitted to Berkeley, but I didn't go. I mean, I got, I got, I had it all set up, but I, I just, I couldn't really afford it. I mean, I. There wasn't, and, and by that time I was in practice, and so I, I couldn't give it up, and so I didn't. And he was, Richard Swallow has never forgiven me for that. He said I really blew a great career by by not developing that as my sort of thing, you know. So. Well, um, so when did you finish at the School of Architecture? Well, I I dropped out in 1969 in a protest. I protested that I was one of those architecture students in the trees at Waller, at Waller Creek when Frank Irwin was mm -hmm. telling, the, telling them to bulldoze those drivers to cut down those trees. And I was up in one of those trees. And 
I was mad about that, and then I was also mad about the position that the, the UT took on the Vietnam War. And so for both of those reasons, I just dropped out. I was scheduled to graduate. I, was, I, I would have graduated. I mean, I had all the hours I needed, but I didn't graduate. I quit. I, I, I dropped out of school and went to work full time. Um, at that time, I was working. I had gone from I had gone from uh, Wukash to um, Brooks Bar, Graber and White. And uh, while I was at Brooks Bar, Graber and White, um, uh, Walter Vacker was working for Brooks Bar, Graber and White, and he quit Brooks Bar and teamed up with. Tom Shuffleman and Alan Taniguchi to form a little firm down on Congress Avenue that eventually became TSVM, but it was, wasn't called that yet. And Walter called me up and said, why don't you come to work for us? And, and so I did. And, and uh, where were we in this story? <laughs> when you finally graduated, I guess. Okay, 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 okay. So, so what happened was, um, I was when 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 I went to work for Allen is is about the time I dropped out of school. I was working for him. He was the dean of the school, and I and I just went in and said, Alan, I can't do this. And he respected that. Let me keep working for his firm, even though I was dropping out of school. And I wasn't gonna be getting a degree. He was gonna be dropping out again soon too, though. Yeah. Well he went he went to Rice. Mm -hmm. And when he was at Rice, it was great because I got to go down and be on juries and stuff when he oh. was in Houston. I would go down and be a part of, you know, he'd mm -hmm. be a guest juror and stuff. Sure. It was great. Um, and he and I, you know, maintained a good friendship. Um, but he, he was he was the principal at TSVM, but he, but like a couple of years into that is when he actually moved to Rice, and he continued to be a named principal even though he was at Rice, and so we were, you know, we had a person sure. lived down there and was doing that. Um, but you must have gone back to school. So I dropped out. So that was eight years after I started. I dropped out. And I went all the way through until 1978 when, I, when Bob Billington and Tabor Stone and I formed a partnership. And I said, oh, by the way, you know I don't have a degree. And they said, what? <laughs> well, Tabor knew, but Bob Billington didn't know. And they said, well, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to get, you're gonna have to get your degree. So when I when I was in school, the, the uh, I was required to have 185 hours to graduate. By the time that I went back to school to get a degree, you only had to have 169 or something, or 163. It was like 20 hours fewer hours. So I had way more, and, and and I had taken all these graduate courses and stuff. So I had like 200 and something hours. But you have to be enrolled to graduate. So I enrolled and took a, an acoustics course. Um, and uh, and graduated, and then and then took the exam within a month or something after I graduated. Because you would have had all that experience. I had plenty of experience. I had all the experience, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I just did the paperwork and took the exam and aced it. And so I Good. became instantly registered <laughs> and legitimate. Much to my partner's delight, they were 
pretty embarrassed that they had somebody with no credentials at all. <laughs> well, you fixed it. That's what counts. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure you took many architectural history classes while you were in school. Did you have any favorite architects that you've kind of held on to all these years? My favorite story about architectural history class, though, was in Alexander's class, the very first survey class that I took. He showed slides of, he had a brief history of architecture in the world by showing examples in Austin, Texas of what we had. I mean, starting in the early 1800s and going to present. And, and at one point when he got up to the 1870s, up comes this picture of the house I grew up in that on, wow. on Virginia Avenue. And, and he said, and this is the best example of Greek Revival architecture in Austin, Texas. And stupid me, I said, but, but Professor Alexander, why, he, because the, what he was talking about was the, the, uh, the neoclassic facade. It, was a, it, was, it had a gallery and a screening porch upstairs with columns and it was, I said, but, but my grandfather ordered all that stuff and put it on the house in 1910. <laughs> he ordered it from Sears. <laughs> Jury Alexander, he was he turned red and was like, who is this insolent young person? <laughs> it took years, but then I, in that same class, I did the Habs, the Historic American Building Survey drawings mm -hmm. that are right here in this collection. That you that graduated they're history at UT. Center. I think they're at UT. They may be at UT now, yeah. And I did the, the drawings, did them on linen. And uh, uh, you so got to draw your own house? I got to draw my own That's house. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, fun. I grew up. It was fun. Um, but through the history courses, I began to learn of. of uh, I can't remember, I, I'm terrible with architectural history to be honest with you. I, I remember there were some, some architects that I really was fascinated with, particularly planning, laying, laying out of cities. I was really interested in that whole aspect of you know, city planning. So you had an early interest in that. I did, yeah, yeah. And I, but, but also humor, I mean, who's the architect, Violet Leduc, I think it was, and uh, there are two or three that did a lot of whimsical stuff in the anywhere from the, up through the Renaissance, and um, and I was always interested in that, and I was interested, I was very interested in the development of the churches, the cathedrals. Um, there were some of those art, William Penn, uh, but but I was interested in that mainly because of the relationship between the church buildings and music and the evolution of music because I took this course under Hans Berthold Dietz at UT where he talked about the influence of architecture of music on architecture and I remember I got in a big discussing a debate with him that I thought that the architecture actually influenced the music more than the music influencing the architecture because the churches all were hard surfaces and so you didn't have any choice but to have like Baroque and organ music, because, music. because if you, since you couldn't understand each other 10 feet away from each other, you weren't gonna have the word, you're, 
you're going to have to listen to the music. And so, but anyway, so it, but in answer to your question about architects, as we, I, I became really, I was not a, I'm not a Frank Lloyd Wright fan, uh, although I obviously admire the man, he was an incredibly brilliant person and did some beautiful things, but I never really con considered him to be a complete architect because he, did, in my view, he didn't really care much about building to the lifestyle of the people that he designed for. He just expected them to adapt to his architecture. That's right. And to me, from the very beginning, an architect was someone that's at the service of their client, mm -hmm. that they're, they're, you know, they really are. And that's why, that's one of the reasons that I, that Louis Kahn is my favorite architect because of, of, of the big name architects, but also Ian Pei and, uh, and some of the modernists now are wonderful. I mean, they're just fantastic work. Um, but, but certainly I became, early on, I was a, you know, a fan of the early Philip Johnson Glass House, uh, you know, all of the, you know, Mies van der Rohe, the, the modernists that were expressing the materials. I mean, I just, I took completely to that whole way of thinking about architecture. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, let's talk about some of the Austin architects that you've worked with, or partnered with. Sure. Uh, well, the first architect that I worked with was Jing Wukash, and Wukash was a funny old bird. I mean, he was he was a real, real interesting man, and he he made as many en enemies as he did friends, and he was real hard to work for. He didn't pay any money, and almost everybody that went to UT back in the '60s just just practically everybody worked for Wukash at one time or another, and and it was considered a sweatshop. I mean, he was down in the basement, and everybody was. And where was that office? It was at 2000 Guadalupe, which if you're, if you're at MLK and you're going north on Guadalupe, it was the, the, um, uh, it was the Holiday House across the street from it back then, uh, which is Dobie's there now, I guess. And, but on the left, there was a GM Steakhouse eventually, and then there's, it, it became, it's become several other things since then. There's a little vacant lot, and then there's a building. And that was the building, that's 2000 Guadalupe, okay. about a half a block north of MLK mm -hmm. on the west side of the street. And he was in the basement. Eventually, while I was there, he moved up and we expanded the office up into the upstairs of it. But all the time I worked for him in the 60s, it was down in the basement. And he, uh, I was actually with Eugene Wukash and Leon Lurie, who was the uh, director of the Urban Renewal Agency in Austin in about 69, I think, and we, uh, he had gotten a commission, Eugene had, from the Symphony Society to, to, to work on the site that is now known as Symphony Square, but then it wasn't Symphony Square, but the Symphony Society did own that Jeremiah Hamilton building, which is the triangular building on the corner, and we walked down the creek, and Leon Lurie was involved because it was an urban renewal project. That, that, that whole site had been bought by the city through urban renewal, displaced a lot of people. Mm -hmm. uh, very sad moment in our history. 
but it did give the city this site, and Eugene Wukash and I walked with Leon Lurie down the street and stopped and looked at the Jeremiah Hamilton building, and one of us, I, I think it might have been me, or it might have been Eugene, said, you know, this would be a great amphitheater. And so that idea of an amphitheater at Symphony Square was born among the three of us right then walking the creek. And Eugene went back and sold the idea to Jane Sibley and the Symphony Society people, and, and, and uh, we were on our way to design that, that project. So Eugene Wukash had worked on many, many projects, a lot of church architecture, a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of Air Force Base architecture. <laughs> We have, uh, we have a lot of his work in the collection here. Yeah, I know. I've, I've seen those drawings. Yeah, of, uh, I did a lot of those drawings. Yeah, I helped, I helped Susan Wukash get them to, <laughs> to, to the, well, we the center. Well, we thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, but Eugene Wukash, and then, of course, Alan Taniguchi, Walter Backer, uh, David Minter, to a less extent, didn't work with David that much, uh, but certainly with Tom Shuffleman. Uh, very close with Tom. I had never had Tom in school, but he was my boss when I worked for TSVM Architects, and I became a partner at TSVM, a junior partner. Uh, three of us did. Juan Cotero, Larry, Larry Johnson, and I became uh, became the junior partners of that partnership. And uh, but I had, you know, I had enormous respect for Alan Taniguchi. I considered him my mentor and. And uh, just uh, Alan, great man who inspired, brought out the best in everybody that ever, ever worked with him. Um, but Walter Backer too was a very talented architect, and I admired his work. and And he was kind of the modernist in the firm, and and I took to that and did, developed a lot of drawings. Was he the one into the concrete? Did he do a lot? Yeah, we did. He did the uh, Manchek Library. I, I worked on that drawing, th those drawings for the Manchek Library, and he did the uh, Chaparral Country Club out on uh, Lake Travis, which I did the drawings on that. And Larry Johnson, who was the structural engineer student, recent graduate that I brought in to the firm, because Alan Taniguchi asked me to go out and find the best young engineer around, and we found Larry Johnson, who was working for Clark Craig at the time and brought him into the firm, and he worked on that project, uh, doing the engineering on that project. Those were two really great concrete buildings. Uh, but he also did another library uh, that Jim Nix was more involved in than I. It was out on Burleson Road, I think. It's concrete also. Mm -hmm. um, the Clarksville. Oh, and the Clarksville. Clinic. Yes, Clarksville Clinic worked did on the Clarksville on Clinic, yes. So, so, uh, so those were some local architects. But then along the way, I, I, I was a real fan of Winifred. I mean, Winifred, uh, Gustafson. What was Gustafson's first name? Was it Win Winifred? I think that's right. Gust Gustafson. Yeah, he did. Gustafson did his own office on South Congress. But I, and I got to know him a little bit just because I admired his work. He's very writing, and so it wasn't really my thing so much. But I, I admired the detail, and he did the Lahala House, which. Now it's Gro Joe's Crab Shack, but it was the Magic Time Machine and all oh, these yes. things. On the Riverside. Riverside. Originally, originally it was the La Hala House, and it was a Polynesian kind of restaurant. Okay. And so I and yeah, that was very different from those concrete. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Augustus said, should I talk about that? Not, yeah, right, right. Yeah, for me, it was very, very different. Yeah. Um, other uh, local architects, I mean, I, you know, I got to know all the early architects, you know, Charlie Granger and Arthur Fair. And, uh, Doesn't sound like you worked for, like, the pages? Or the I didn't work for the pages. I worked for, but when I would work for Brooks Bar, Graber and White, I got to know Max Brooks, and I got to know, you know, the, the other named principals, but but mainly I got to know David Graber there, and um, but but the guy that I worked directly under was, um, um, oh, I'll think of it in a minute. I'm sorry, drawing a blank. Um, Kirby Cahey. Kirby Cahey was a junior partner at Brooks Bar, Graber and White, and. Brooks Bar did the only joint venture they had ever they ever had done or had ever done since with Page, Southern Page. Oh. So Page and Brooks came together to do the highway department building that was going to be at 11th and Congress, directly across the street from the Walton building where I had worked mm -hmm. <laughs> at the Game and Fish Commission and where the old bakery is now. And we worked for a year. We 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 rented a separate little building to work in, and, and the, the, I, from, from, uh, from, Brooks, from Brooks Bar, and Jim Little from uh, Pace Southern Page were the young, young designers, and then I was under Kirby Cahey, and he was under Ernesto Liebrich, and Ernesto and Kirby collaborated on the design, and we, Jim and I, drew it up, and we developed an entire set of construction documents for for a building, and then it didn't get funded, and so probably a good thing. But we built it all the way around the. I was going to say, was the bakery going away? No, no, of course not. No, 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 no. And I and I became at that time actually a proponent of the idea of action of of some little buildings like that being actually better off built around where you build a setting for them and actually set them off and yeah, incorporate them but but in a very respectful way that kind of honors them not competing with them kind of honoring kind of like there's a there's a church in San Antonio I forgot which one it is it's a Catholic church that that a Joskies or something is built yes. all the way around and it, and that one that was the example I kind of used Convinced myself that it was okay <laughs> to be doing this, but um, did you ever work on another one like that? Were you? No, no. I well, I can't remember if I did or not. I, I did some some. I worked on some really wonderful projects. When I worked for Woodcash, I worked on the Caswell. The first, you know, there's two Caswell houses uh, on West Avenue and Fifteenth. One's on the south side. One's on the north side. The one on the south side, in the southwest corner, that overlooks House Park, you know, yes. um, Wukash had the commission to re do the restoration of that project. And that was one of the most fa fascinating restoration yeah. projects I have ever done in my life. I mean, it was just really wonderful. We, we, um, we actually lowered the floor of the basement by two feet in order to give headroom underneath it. Make it more usable. To make it actually functioning space. It was just 
you know, just full of dang wet books and stuff at the time when we first went in there. And uh, and we and that was a absolutely fascinating project. I, it was it was one of the things I learned during that project was in something about the geology of Austin and foundations and the way that back then the standard was you would just simply go down a certain distance into the ground and then put sand, they weren't even pouring concrete this, under these big stones, and then put big stones as the basis. But you just go down a certain distance and do this, and then you start laying it all up. Well, when you're on the side of a hill like that, what I had not realized, it was counterintuitive to me, I learned it much later, that the shelves, were, were at, as the ground erodes away, the dirt gets in between the layers of concrete and it actually raises up so the strata is higher at the edge than it is back here. Well, what in that building, when they built that building, they excavated down, they got to rock along the west side of it, but on the east side of it, it was too deep and so they weren't on rock and they were just, they just so it was on two different kinds of footings. Mm -hmm. And so it had started to move. And so we had to, when we, when we did the, the work of making the excavating for the for the basement, we had to go down below those footings and pour concrete, needling in and pouring concrete to hold to mm -hmm. the whole west facade of the building <laughs> to make this work. And I remember it was it was a wonderful thing to have learned. Was um, that a city project when you worked on I'm sorry? it? Was it a city of Austin property? No, I don't think so. It well, it, it may have been a may have been a city of Austin project. It was the, it was our client was the uh, uh, what, what's it called the women's club? Uh, the junior league. The junior league. It was the junior league. Mary Arnold was the was our client. I think originally, I think the city sold the property to the junior league. Yeah. I just wasn't sure when the renovation had occurred. Yeah. I think it was a city of Austin project. I think it was. It seems like I remember the drawings in the city yeah. records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They. So, um, where were the other things I worked on? Where were? Well, we were talking about um, different architects you had partnered with or worked with. You yeah. hadn't gotten to that many of your firms. Right. What at what point? Like what year did you start your first owned your own? Seventy eight, nineteen seventy eight, April first, nineteen seventy eight. We I always get that wrong. It may have been seventy seven. The late seventies. It was either seventy seven or seventy eight. Um, Tabor Stone, Bob Billington and I formed the partnership of BKS Billington Kidney Stone. They were in that order simply because we thought that sounded better than KBS or SBK. <laughs> BKS sounded better. And, and we rented a space at, um, at Patterson and West 6th Street um, and put out our shingle and started the firm. And, and that was, Bob Billington had moved, had, been, had, had worked with uh, Tabor in, uh, in Washington, D.C. at Perkins and Will. And they both wanted to start from Tabor said, I'm gonna start a firm with Gerard Kenny, so we're gonna so come join us. So Bob moved to Austin from Seattle 
or Vancouver, from Vancouver, Canada, and uh, he sold it, sold out of a firm, a very successful firm in Seattle, that did mainly architectural programming. They specialized in programming. In Canada, back then at least, all schools and all hospitals had to have programs separate, and it could be a separate architect, and it couldn't be the same architect. You could, if you were the programming architect, you couldn't be the architect of the building. So they specialized in programming. So they were going to come to Austin, Texas. He's going to come to Austin, Texas, and by God, we're going to do programming. Well, the trouble with that, of course, is that nobody paid for programming in Austin, Texas. They expected you to kind of do that as a part of schematic design. And uh, it's changed to some extent now, but it, but for years, it, you just never could get paid for doing programming. And the client, clients, the city, the school district, private clients, everybody thought they already had their program. They were, here's, here's, what we're, here's what we're gonna do, we figured it out now. And they never had figured it out, and so you spent a lot of time. So we, we try to develop that as a specialty, and to this day, I believe in programming. You know, I'm a huge, you know, fan of programming, I, I believe in it, but um, but at the end of the first year, Bob Billington said, guys, I think he had gone from, you know, he was making sixty, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 a year, and back, I mean, to me, right now, that'd be a lot of money, but to him then, that was, that was a really a lot of money, and he went from that making to like under $10,000 the first year, this new firm, he said, I just can't do this anymore. So he bought back into his old firm and moved back to Vancouver at the end of the year. Tabor Stone and I incorporated as Kenny and Stone, January 1st, 1979. So, uh, and then uh, that firm, Kenny and Stone, eventually Tabor died. Uh, and uh, by that time, Paul Cruz had come to work for us and Robert Taylor had come to work for us. So we had, uh, and and they and, and we then after Tabor left, we we Tabor, after Tabor after Tabor left the firm before he died. Uh, it's a difficult thing for me to talk about yeah. <laughs> about the thing about Tabor leaving. But 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 after Tabor left, we formed uh, uh, Kenny Kaler Sanders and Cruz KKSC myself. Paul Cruz, uh, Bob Taylor, Paul Cruz, and and Sid Sanders then came along. First it was Kenny Taylor Cruz, and then it was Kenny Taylor Sanders and Cruz. We wedged Sanders in because it didn't sound good to say Kenny Taylor Cruz and the Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> so Kenny Taylor Sanders and Cruz had better. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and that firm became very, very successful in the 1980s, and we did a lot of a lot of projects. Uh, Developed uh, had expertise in theater architecture, cinemas. Um, uh, did a lot of uh, planning work for private clients. Uh, did what uh, one of our theater clients, which was Presidio Enterprises, bought a site that we had worked with. The owner of the site was Bill Gurisich of Gurisich Spence Gerald McClure. Um, and they sold the project to our theater client, Presidio, Charles Chick of Presidio Enterprises, and Presidio hired us to design their office building on Loop 360 on that side. So 
we were their theater architects, but they hired us to do an office building. So we did our first kind of multi-story office mm -hmm. building there. Is that the one with the big red? No, no, it's not. Uh, and this building preceded that building. I know what you're talking. This, this, that one's farther north. Oh, okay. This is this is down closer. This is where if if you go to out Bull Creek Road, uh, 2222, and before it gets to Loop 360, right before you get across the creek, if you turn right, oh, okay. it's where that road comes back in, and right there on the corner, on the inside of that, is where this is. And then later. Uh, someone else bought the building and, and built a kind of a matching building. It was called the Presidio building. Uh, and uh, anyhow, and, and then we moved in there, office there. Uh, but that experience with that kind of building caused Walter Vacker to hire us to do the echelon mm -hmm. office office buildings, the one that eventually the three years ago now were hit by the airplane. And uh, we de designed those buildings and designed uh, the Collado, which is an office building right next to the Echelon, the four buildings of the Echelon and then two buildings of the Collado. So we designed all those and we were cooking in those years. We had got up to about 25 people in the mid 80s. So we were for Austin standards, a pretty good size yes, firm. For internationally, tiny still, of course. But what uh, was was all your work predominantly in Austin, Travis County? Almost all of it. The exception was that we were hired by Pants South to do some jean stores all the way back when I was with Wukash. But then, all through TSVM, we did we did probably twenty stores and. Of those, a bunch of them were in, in the Texas Valley, San Antonio, Corpus Christi, Houston, and then Louisiana, New Orleans, and and Florida. So we did we did the, 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 these pants stores in in malls. And I got to travel around a lot to babysit those projects, um, and then also the movie theaters that worked that I did for Presidio developing movie theaters, the Arbor Cinema and many others uh, here in Austin, uh, attracted some national clients and I got hired by Fitzgerald Theaters in New York to do some theater work in Utica, New York, and then, and then by uh, a company in uh, Miami. And they hired us to do three theaters in Miami, movie theaters. We were kind of considered the sort of, you know, new wave experts on cinema at the time. I, I was, uh, part of that was because when I was with Presidio, they worked with Lucasfilms. This was before Lucasfilms had developed the PHX sound system. And they needed someone to consult with them on the development of the THX sound system for movie theaters because it was going to be so expensive. And so I got hired by Lucasfilms to help them develop the THX sound system for movie theaters. And, 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 we, and the first one, the first THX movie, uh, sound system was in South Park in Austin, Texas. It's not, it's not there anymore, but it, it was the first one. It, was, it, it, it had the best acoustics of any 
movie theater I've ever been in. <laughs> So Kenny Taylor Sanders Cruz, how long did that burn? It it uh, Kenny Taylor Sanders and Cruz uh, got left holding the bag <laughs> in, with the with the great demise of the economy in the in the mid to late eighties. We 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 finally we were finally owed so much money by by our clients that they couldn't pay us. And and so we we downsized um, and moved down moved out of the Presidio building moved downtown. Uh, Sid Sanders left the firm to 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 go with the University of Texas. And actually, at first he went somewhere else, then he went to the University of Texas. And uh, Paul Cruz. Uh, and, 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 and Robert Taylor left and did, began doing movie theaters on his own and do, doing up some other work. And Paul Cruz was the only one who stayed with me. And we moved down to Sabine and Sixth Street in, uh, in about 1989. And then uh, ultimately I reformed uh, as went from being a a, a uh, corporation to being a sole proprietor in 1991. So Kenny and Associates, which is the firm I have now, was and Paul was working for me. Paul then worked for me rather than being my partner. He he worked for me for for two or three years uh, in, in in there and. Uh, You're still Kenny. I'm still Kenny and Associates. It's and and I'm and I wound up at that time I was work, we I rented from Carl Daywood at Sabine and Sixth, but then I moved over uh, when when I became I, I, that was in '89 that we moved in '91 when I became Kenny and Associates. We moved. I moved. This was when I thought I was going to be going to Berkeley oh, okay. as, and, and going to, for a doctorate. And so I was put all my furniture and everything in storage at this storage building over on the east side of I-35 on 6th Street and, and just carved out a little space about 10 by 10 right up near the front door and put a drawing table there and trying to finish up some work to get myself ready to go. But then I started getting calls from Clients wanting me to do things, and I'd have to give them, you know, refer them to another architect. And it was going to cost so much to go to Berkeley. I said, well, maybe I'll just try to make it here for a while. So I kind of carved it out and stayed in that building 19, that I went, moved into in 1991 until a year and a half ago. And we, a year and a half ago, so how long was that? From 91 to 19, to 2014. So that's a long time. <laughs> um, we we moved back onto the alley, and uh, in another building owned by by Carl Daywood, and and re and designed it as a tenant space for four tenants, and we're, we were one of we are now one of them. You're still there. Yeah, so we're still there. Okay. Well, I know that you will have a lot to tell me about this next question. 
to the community on boards, commissions, task forces, advisory committees. I know there's been a lot. Maybe, what do you feel has been your most significant contribution to things you've done? I don't know. You'd have to ask other people that question about things that I've been involved in. Th things, everything I've gotten involved in, I've gotten involved in because I love it. I mean, I just haven't like done it unless I, you know. Um, I was really honored when, when I became, when I, see, I became a member of the AIA. At first, I wasn't a member of the AIA. In fact, at first, I was really anti-AIA because it was way too establishment for me. And, uh, but Tom Shuffleman, I think, finally got me to say, Gerard, come on. I mean, I hadn't worked for Tom for years, but in like 1979 or 80, he said, join the AIA. Once I got registered, you should, you should join the AIA. So I got involved, and then uh, Alan McCray became a kind of a mentor to me. And you know Alan? Mm -hmm. Alan, because uh, was, he, was, he was already working, at that time, I think he was already working on the Congress Avenue, first Congress Avenue project with with uh, with Carol Keaton, at that time, Carol Keaton, yeah, or she had become, I don't know which. I can't keep up with all. I can't keep up with them either. <laughs> yeah, uh, she may have become Carol Rylander. I mean Carol McClellan. She was McClellan. She was when she was mayor. Mayor. She was Carol Carol McClellan. Yeah, and 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 Alan McCree worked on that and. Uh, and the, and he got the AIA, both TSA and the local chapter, to back the plans that he was proposing for for, for Congress Avenue and the big planters and the benches, <laughs> the benches, all of that. And uh, and 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 so so I became involved in the AIA, and Alan was on the AIA board nationally, and he. He convinced the state board that I should be, they should appoint me as a vice president. I hadn't been a director, but, but I went directly from being a lowly member to being a vice president of the NSA. It was really strange. So at that point, you hadn't even served on the board of the local chapter. Mm -mm, mm -mm. No. That was quite a leap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that okay? And then, well, it was interesting. It was, I found it. I found it very interesting, and, and it was, and, and then and then I became a, a, a uh, I got on the board of the local chapter, and uh, and when I was, I guess it was Jim Fluger that brought me in, as convinced me to be, you know, a member of the local board. He and Tom and Bob Coffey, uh, and when I got involved. I realized that there were a lot of things that the AIA was not doing that, in my opinion, AIA was not doing locally, kind of working with the community. And, and, and one of the first things I learned, though, was that at that time, there was a position on the Austin History Center board that was an, a liaison with the AIA. AIA board member was always assigned to be a liaison to be on the Austin History Center board. And so I said, yeah, I'll do that. Well, I think it was automatically the president of the, of the okay. local chapter. 
if, if, or they could appoint someone else. And so I, would, I don't remember if I got appointed, but I stayed on the History Center board for like three or four years. And during the time when I was on that is when Ruth Parshall and I decided, and she was on a committee that we had formed uh, to, to do local projects. We, the, the, the two big projects we did that year I think it's 1983 because I think I don't think I was president yet. I think that I was uh, was under Fluger. Fluger was president, and I was the president elect. Mm -hmm. And and the president elect developed the programs. And so the programs that we developed were the Balloon Arch across Town Lake. That was my first bridge that I designed. And uh, and the the architectural drawings collection at the History Center wherein architects could donate their drawings to the History Center, drawings done by local architects of local buildings. That was the criteria at that time. And, and in fact, the fact that I had done that is why many years later I was able to get my hands on the drawings of the echelon the same day that the plane hit the, the building. <laughs> so I came down and, and uh, was able to get them. But, uh, so, so the History Center was, a, was an important board of directors, was an important thing. While I was on the board, we, there was a lot of talk about the preservation of this building, and so I got to work on that. And, um, so many cases I've been involved in things where because I was involved as a board member, I wasn't eligible to be the architect <laughs> for these things. So that's true. That was, I've been involved in an awful lot of things where it was just pro bono work. Um, and then uh, in somewhere in, uh, in about 1984 or 83, after Layla and I moved over near Miller, uh, I got involved in an organization called CARE, Citizens for Airport Relocation, lobbying for the moving of, of the airport, what is now Miller. And I was asked to be on the airport advisory board as the neighborhood representative on the airport advisory board. So I served on the airport advisory board uh, for 10 years, from about 84 to 94, something like that. And then I went from there, I went almost immediately to the design commission. Well, not immediately, there was three or four years in between. And then I went on the design commission for, from about uh, 1998 to 2008, something like that. I've forgotten the exact years, but I've, I've served about 10 years on each board. So those, are, those boards and commissions were very important to me because the Airport Advisory Board is where I learned about the whole value of a community, the, the extent to which a community can shape its own environment. And, and when we knew that the airport was going to be relocated, it was the communities around the Miller that then began forming the vision for what Miller should be. And so in 1996, having been on the airport advisory board, uh, I, was, I was asked to uh, head up the Miller Commission, which was the commission that developed the vision for Miller. And I did that, that uh, we worked for six months from October of 1995 to April of 1996 and, and produced the report 
about what Miller would be. What the, here's the vision for, this was 16 people that worked day and night. I mean, it was like so many meetings, you wouldn't believe it. Very diverse group and got the AIA to endorse it along with many, many other, all the boards and commissions basically endorsed it. It was a consensual report. We, it was the only, it was one of the most interesting involvements I've ever had in a board or a commission because in the entire six months, we never voted on anything. Everything was done by consensus. If we couldn't all agree, we just stayed on the topic That's until working. we could agree. <laughs> now, some people, you know, they said, well, I'm, it's not exactly what I would do, but I can support it. So at the end, all 16 people signed the report. There was no minority reporter. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. That's quite an accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, I was very proud of that. It was, a, I, I learned a technique that I've used a few times since then because I also founded the, the Cherrywood Neighborhood Association about even before I went on the Airport Advisory Board, I, formed the, I, I was the founding president of the Cherrywood Neighborhood Association. And a few times along the way, I've needed to use this te same technique. And that is when you had an issue where there was just two opposing views on some topic and, and you couldn't come to a decision, there was no way you were gonna come to a decision. And what I did at the Airport Advisory Board was I appointed two people who best represented the two halves of the idea and said, you go away and don't come back until you've worked something out that you can both support. And you let them work it out <laughs> and then bring back a suggested compromise that they, they were happy with. And that happened on two or three important issues for, for, for Miller. That's a great tool. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it worked, worked very well. So that, that, was, that was one, the, the Cherrywood Neighborhood Association is something else that I wound up, I've, I've served several times on, it, on the board of it, I'm not on the board right now. For years I, I founded and, and then chaired the Land Use and Transportation Committee of the, of the neighborhood and so I became very involved in that. And in 1991, I was the founding chair and still in, I'm founding president, I'm still in president of Scenic Austin. And Scenic Austin is a chapter of Scenic Texas, which is affiliated with Scenic America. And those organizations are totally focused on what America and Texas and Austin look like from the roadway, what the visual appearance from the roadway. And we are the only organizations that actually take on the billboard industry. There are other wonderful organizations uh, like Keep Austin Beautiful, Keep Texas Beautiful, whom we support, but they, they can't support us because they have people with the billboard industry on their boards, and so, and we don't. <laughs> and, so, and so, because our, our goal is for there not to be any billboards, so we're very unabashed about that. Um, but I have been involved in that issue uh, since 1991, as, as time has gone. So I've become passionate about that, and, and uh, I, I, but my wife and my partners and my employees all will tell you that I spend way, way too much time on that stuff and not nearly enough time trying to make a living, so. But those are some of the organizations I've been involved in that I loved. Early on in my life, I was very involved in Boy Scouts. Love that. Yeah, so, yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Did you have a favorite project? Um, that's a good question. Um, 
One of my very favorite projects right now is a tree house I designed and we're building for my granddaughter. That sounds fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's taking forever to build it. We've been working on it for several years. It's just kind of weekend work, you know. But How old is she? she well, she's, she's 10 now, going on 11. So you need to hurry. Yeah, I know it. She's going to be <laughs> having teenage parties in the treehouse. <laughs> so where is... Where's the treehouse going to be? It's, it's, in, it's in Dripping Springs. Uh, it's, it's a piece of property that her her uh, her father owns, and her 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 mom, my daughter, uh, and 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 her father are separated. They live in different places, but they're very close friends, and they work together on all kinds of stuff. And uh, so this is on the site though where Russell, my son-in-law, ex-son-in-law, lives, and uh, so he and I are the ones that are working on the on the treehouse. You did you know that my my grandson, Eller Coltrane, was the star of Boyhood, the movie. You familiar with Boyhood? I am, of course. But yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, the yeah the the main guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he's I my, love that. 12, the 12 year project, yeah. Mm -hmm. That must have been interesting. Him. Yeah, but it was very interesting uh, to, see, to see him grow up. Uh, so what is he doing now? Well, he works for Russell, <laughs> uh, Evelyn, my, my granddaughter's father. He is a landscape contractor and Eller works for him as a landscaper when he's not making movies, but he uh, he also flies off to New York and Los Angeles to work on movies. So, so he's still in the business. He's, oh yeah, yeah. And I think he probably will be. Yeah. The rest of his life. I mean, so in fact, the funds from his ability from the boyhood have allowed him to buy some property near Wimberley, where my daughter now lives on that property and and races horses and. Do you have, is there an aspect of the hall, thinking of design and construction and architecture, do you have a favorite aspect or a favorite phase of that process? Or do you just like the whole? I do like the whole thing. And, and, and I noticed that some of the questions were, is it the business or design side? It's all of it. I mean, I, it, it's just a whole process. But, it, but, I, but I think that the parts of it that I love the most are kind of at the very beginning and the very end, and that is the very conceptualization of a project, the working with the people that are going to be. I hate spec spec houses for us. I just hate them because I don't know the people that are going to live there. I can't actually be responding to a lifestyle and having to, you know, like designing cars and let somebody pick it out. You know, I I, I, I like custom interaction. Yeah, that, right, and so that. That development of the program and the early conceptualization of the project, I love. And then when you and and I actually like it all. I mean, I like writing specs. I like sort of in the details. I mean, uh, it, I, to me, to me, the drawing up of a building is the building of a building. It, it, it's a virtual building. You are you, and if you can't do that, if you don't know how to build a building, you shouldn't be drawing it. 
<laughs> I always tell my draft people, draw it in the order that you would build it. You know, draw, draw it, build the walls, build, put the skins on, do it in that order. The trouble with that is that with, with, with CAD, CAD gives you all that stuff, so it doesn't really, not really conducive to do it that way, so it's, it's tough. But, but then I love building. I mentioned that during, when I went to school, I didn't mention all of these, I worked as a carpenter, I worked as a brick mason, I worked for, tech, for feather light building uh, double T's and, and concrete blocks. Uh, I worked for uh, uh, the steel tips, iron and mm -hmm. steel, doing uh, shop drawings in there, worked for them doing shop, and actually worked at, working on the steel as well, as a laborer. But, but as a mason, I actually got, uh, got a mesa, held a union card as a mason for a while. Short period of time, I worked for a mason and laid a lot of brick. <laughs> so, you know, I, I worked for all the trades. Cause that, you have that understanding. Yeah, well, that's what I was mm -hmm. gonna say, is that in, in developing projects, going, being able to go out to a site and having actually done just about every trade myself, it gives me, you know, lets me add value to the actual construction pro process. And I, I find that, you know, the, the sort of natural clash that happens between architects and contractors, I'm able to overcome that a lot by the fact that I kind of can see it from their point of view. That's right. Are you a sketcher? Oh, yeah. Carry a book around with you? Yeah, I don't know if I, you know, I should have brought one. I, I, I don't know if I have one with me or not right now that has anything in it. Probably not. No, this an empty one. But you've got one in there. Yeah, I usually, yeah, these, I, these are two that I stuck in here for a trip and I, and I took the ones out that had all my sketches in it. So I just got back from Santa Fe and I did. I think four sketches in Santa Fe of buildings and places. I did, yeah, just for myself. I've never sold any sketches or anything like that. I just do them for myself. But I've got sketchbooks full of sketches. Where else have you traveled? Well, not, not as near as much as I would love to. All over the United States, though, at one time or another. For at one point, I had been to every AIA national convention for like 15 years in a row. So I, everywhere they had a convention, I went. So I went to San Francisco twice, Houston two or three times for the sure. for that, but also Philadelphia and New York City and uh, Miami and Chicago twice. I think for just for AIA conventions, mm -hmm. and we would go and make turn that into a vacation. So I've been all over. The United States, uh, New Orleans, I guess New Orleans, New Orleans and San Francisco, other than Austin, are my New Orleans, San Francisco, and Chicago were my t three favorite U.S. cities, and I've been to those places several times. Uh, taking the train back and forth to Chicago several times, I love doing that. Um, but I've only been to Europe once. But I did, I did travel for three weeks in Europe. Uh, by myself, uh, first part of the trip I was with my stepmother, but left them and had gotten a Eurail pass and traveled. Back, this was back in '76, 
I always was familiar with Gaudí's work in, in Barcelona, just from school, you know, knew, knew about it. But I, and I went to the uh, Sagrada Familia and, and climbed around in the building and, you know, just blown away by the architecture and all that, and went to a lot of his other projects. But what I didn't understand was where he got these ideas. And, and it was in walking in, not, not in, out in the formal part of the main street of Barcelona, but some of the back streets that are very curving, and these and the buildings are kind of stacked out, some kind of stacked out over the street, and there are these very organic forms. And he was getting all of his clues about the organic detailing that he did from his city, where he grew, where he, it, it was a very organic thing, and I had never gotten that from anything in the, no, that I had read that. about it, right. I mean, I knew all about the structure and hanging nets upside down to make the shapes of, of steeples and all that stuff. I understood that, but not, not the, not, not the drawings. Yeah, right. So, yeah. but so yeah. I mean, and then also the whole fact of in in Europe they they learned the value of 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 uh, public transportation very early because they really had to because of geography and and, um, and and that and that density is not the enemy of quality of life <laughs> in fact it enables quality of life if you do it right so All those public spaces that, well, right. The fact the fact that you have the public spaces always adjacent the dense communities, mm -hmm. you know, that's always thought of that way. Yeah. I think that's something that impressed me when I first went to Europe was how small you could live, how little you really needed, as long as you could go downstairs and yeah. Yeah. be out in the piazza and see your friends. and live on like uh, St. Joseph's Island or somewhere and camp out and live off the land mm -hmm. just because I love to do that. So, um, Where do you go, whitewater rafting? Not rafting, canoeing. Oh, canoeing. Canoeing and not kayaking. Uh, I, I like to kayak and I like to raft, but canoeing is, is to, to me the really great sport. And um, I've canoed most of the rivers in Texas to Colorado. My first canoe trip, major canoe trip in my life was in a, 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 a canvas canoe that I built when I was in the Cub Scouts and went from Austin to the Gulf of Mexico. It took just two weeks to get there. I mean, I was in a Cub Scout. Was that in that Guadalupe River? No, in Colorado. That was in Colorado. Yeah, from Austin. But no, I haven't done safari. On, on, on the Guadalupe, they have the safari, which I've never done. It's a very interesting trip, but I've not done it. That ended in my hometown, so I was very familiar with 
Yeah, yeah. Where's that? I was from Port Lavaca. From Port Lavaca. Yeah. Matagorda Bay. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, yeah. We did lots of fishing too. But I but I have uh, canoed the Guadalupe from from uh, Kerrville all the way down to Canyon Lake and then Canyon Lake down to Green and you know I've you know I've done all of those trips many many times a lot of times camping out anytime it was a trip big enough that it would be more than one night you know I would camp out uh, and that's the nice thing about canoeing as opposed to kayaking you can actually put some gear in a canoe that's right <laughs> you can carry a whole lot more I grew up hunting and fishing. I mean, from the time, by the time I graduated from high school, I had seldom eaten beef. I mean, we just, all we ate was fish and stuff that we raised in our garden and venison and rabbits and squirrels and things that we brought home and cooked. I mean. That's a pretty healthy lifestyle. It's a very healthy lifestyle. Yeah. What advice do you give architecture students or young architects these days? Well, I don't pay much attention to it, but... But you try. Yeah. <laughs> um, one is I alluded to a minute ago, and that is as you're, as you're doing drawings, try to develop drawings in the same order that the building would be built. Think about it that way. I mean, once, you, once it's designed, conceptualized, when you start putting the building together, put it together in the order that you would build it. And if you don't know how to build it, learn. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> it's important to understand how the building's going to be built. The other is um, really understand that water really does run downhill. It really does. And it's amazing how many roofers and landscape contractors and people that you would think should know better just have never really figured that out. Just think about it. Just Donna think. Carter talked about this in her interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the major theme. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There's, um, there's also a, one of the things that I have noted, kids today, you know, <laughs> that to me, architecture is an early morning business. That is, yeah. you've got to be able, for one thing, early mornings are beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and being out on sites very early in the morning are very informative. There are times that can be very comfortable and very spiritual. Uh, but you can also learn a lot about a site early in the morning. Um, but, but more importantly, that's when the people at the city, the inspectors, the people that you really need to have on your side on a project, they get there at seven or earlier, and that's when you can actually get to them on the telephone, <laughs> and you can actually do some bid, get something done early before everybody else gets going. And these days, I, I, I can't find an employee that wants to come to work any earlier than nine o'clock. They all want to come in later in the morning, you know. And stay late. And then stay late, you know, and they ought to be going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I say, kids today. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, other things that I, well, one thing I say to people going into architecture is you really do need, it, it is really hard 
it's a hard profession. It's hard to do it. It, it, it takes a lot of work and, 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 and dedication. And so if you're in it for the money, don't do that. Go into something else. You know, go into it because you love it. Don't, don't go into it to try to make money because you're likely to be disappointed. Yeah. Not that some architects don't do well. I mean, Walter Backer has done very, very well for himself. But others, most, don't. Mm -hmm. so. Sure. Do you have any favorite spaces or buildings around Austin? Uh, well, my favorite building, I think, in the world is the Kimball. Uh, Louis Kahn's Kimball is, is, is a mag magical place, although the, the new, uh, uh, who is it, that did the, uh, the addition to it that's just not open. I haven't been to it yet. I'm going to. I've seen it from the exterior as they were, as they were finishing it up. The piano. Who, who, who did it? Whoever did it, 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 they did a great job. But it didn't try to copy anything, but it's still, it, it's a great, great combination. Um, and, you know, I love the Meyerson uh, Concert Hall in Dallas. Um, Austin, and you know, I'm somewhat of a fan of uh, a couple of projects I've done. The the uh, the uh, Zachary Scott Theater, uh, Wizen Hunt, the the little theater in the round. Theater in the round, yeah. I'm very partial to that building. Uh, I like the gargoyles. Yeah, the gargoyles. In fact. That's so interesting. The, the guy who built the gargoyles, I just saw this weekend, this guy named Stephen Ray, he lives in New York now, and uh, he had the firm here in Austin that built, built them. And uh, a, a very close mutual friend of ours died earlier this year, and they had the memorial in Santa Fe this weekend, and I saw him for the first time in 30 years. And he had changed a bit, but we, we talked about the gargoyles. That, that was fun. You know, we raised, the gargoyles raised uh, $75,000. They didn't cost anything. They raised, they contributed. So the people whose faces they are? No, it's not, not just the faces. They, they, we, we came up with, the, with all the different people. Uh, people that would be represented. They're all parts of the theater, the pro project. But people would adopt. We were, oh, okay. we were asking people to adopt them. And there, there's, there's a plaque on the building that has the people that adopted each of the gargoyles. And they, they each contributed $15,000 to the building fund. And the gargoyles themselves cost like $10,000 and raised $75,000. So, so that's <laughs> the way. And the bricks with the people's names in them out front raised another, I don't know, 10000 at least, all toward the, so the whole idea of art being able to actually, the artists can all get paid, plus you can, you can, you can actually contribute rather than, than using the budget of the building. Mm -hmm. so, um, what 
other spaces do I really love? Of course, I'm you know like everyone, I love the capital of Canada. I, I'm a big fan of the uh, expansion of the capital to the north. I think they did a wonderful job mm -hmm. with that. The underground expansion where you right. can look up and always see the capital. I think that's great. Um, and the restoration of the capital. Uh, Carolyn Peterson with Lord Colin Carson did was was the main restoration architect of that. She did a wonderful job on the restoration and worked with Kirby Cahey, who, who worked on the expansion mm -hmm. uh, that was that 3DI, I guess, that did, the, whoever it was in Houston that did the expansion. Kirby was the project architect. I remember when AIA did a tour of it for TSA or something, he led the tour of, of it. That was a really interesting project. Um, you know, things that I, one thing I'm very proud of is saving the, uh, having served on the airport advisory board, I knew, I knew what the plans were for the, for the uh, base command building at Miller, I mean at Berkshire, at ABIA, which was to, for it to be taken down to, they were gonna raise it. And, but I always thought, I feel like the greatest act of sustainability is to save a building if you possibly can. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so I, I arranged the meeting, I introduced uh, the, a developer who had a connection with Hilton to Charles Gates, who was the director of aviation at the time, and, and said, you know, why, why can't we figure out how to save this building and at that time, they had already put it up on the, on the auction block to try to just raise it and sell the site. And, uh, and nobody had taken it. So they were able to actually work directly with this developer. They didn't have to go through an RFQ process or RFP or anything. They just worked directly with the developer. And I did a study of the building to show that it could be saved mm -hmm. and it could be a, a Hilton Hotel. So I was the concept architect on that building. And that was a, I, I wasn't a hotel architect, and we brought in a hotel architect to do the actual construction documents. But, um, but I, I kind of like the inside of that building, the, the actual lobby space that was originally the courtyard, the mechanical courtyard for the building. Uh, the space is kind of nice. Um, Well, I'm real excited about the, I'm, I'm the I'm theoretically, if we'll ever get started, I'm the architect for the, uh, and Donna Carter's on this team, uh, my team. Um, the um, the um, repurposing of the Miller Tower, the observation tower of Miller, figuring out what to do with it and then being the architect for that, that's an, that's an exciting project, yeah. I didn't mention, by the way, one of my favorite projects that I've done is the Fluger Bridge, the pedestrian bridge. That was, and and then and then the great streets plan that I did with that Sinclair and I did are things that I'm. So a lot of the things that I I'm proudest of and that I'm most comfortable in are the exterior spaces. Yes. You know that I've been involved with. So I mean at Miller, I was very involved in the kind of conception of the plan. At Miller, even though it was pro bono, I was mm -hmm. the, I was that was very involved. I got I'd been on the Miller Commission 
I mean, the, the, the task force that developed the vision and, and, the, and the city manager hired me to actually be on the design team with, with Roma, who they had hired to, mm -hmm. to be the planners, uh, to be the kind of memory of what the goal was supposed to be there. So I got to, so I actually did get engaged there for a while. Uh, but being involved in, 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 in the whole, the whole, you know, trying to, trying to understand city planning from an architect's point of view, um, it's just been a, a fascinating thing for me. I, um, I've learned so much. I mean, I mean, I was, I was greatly inspired when I wrote, when I first read Jane Jacobs' book about how cities live and die and how they work. And, and seeing, seeing American cities try so hard to kind of buck the trend, to somehow develop around the automobile, <laughs> which finally people are trying to, finally figuring out that that's really not the way to design a city, yes. you know, but now to try to retrofit cities, to undo. to undo, I mean, it's just, it's been a fascinating thing, so. I think you've had a fascinating career. More to come, too. I hope so. Mm -hmm. Is there, Anything that we haven't talked about that you'd like to say or add? Um, no, I think we've pretty much covered the highlights of my <laughs> professional life here. Okay. Well, I really appreciate you coming in to talk to us and do this with us, so thank you. Thank you, Tony. I've enjoyed it myself. <laughs>